Good morning. Today's reading will be Ephesians 10 through 24. Finally, brethren, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother and faithful servant, and the Lord will tell you all the news about me so that you may be, form be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with you all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. It's kind of weird to be on this side of the service this morning, but I'm very grateful to Paul and the church leadership here to give me the opportunity to preach this message. And before we do that, I think it's always helpful for us to say a, a moment of prayer. So please bow with me. Most precious Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for the opportunity to look at your word, to know what you have to say to us. And Father, I pray that we not only be hearers of the word, but we also be doers of the word. So, Father, as we go through this sermon, I pray that what I would say would be very little, but what you would say to us would be mighty and strong. Father, allow your spirit to move through us, around us, and help us to be your church at all times. I pray this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So one of the things you may not know about me, and some of you probably do, is that my very first job after high school was to join the Marine Corps. Yeah, I still have the haircut. Now, when I joined the Marine Corps, and they're going to show a picture here in a second. Ken, there's your chance. <laughs> uh, when I joined the Marine Corps, I joined during high school. And I spent the, uh, about eight months waiting to go to boot camp. And when I got to boot camp, the reality of what I had done hit me almost from the moment I hit the gates, actually before I hit the gates of the uh, Marine Recruit Depot. So what happened? Well, there's these yellow footprints I stood on for hours. Then they rushed me through, handed me a duffel bag, told me I was going to need it, threw me in a barber's chair, and at that time, everybody had long hair. In a matter of about two seconds, all my hair was gone. And then I was taken to this room, and went up to this counter, and this guy asked me, what size are you? So I told him my size. He handed me a stack of clothes. 
I went over to another set of yellow footprints and was commanded to take everything off. Everything. I mean, literally everything. And from that moment on, I stopped being a civilian, and I started my progress to becoming a Marine. They changed me into what they call sand flea. If you know anything about the Marine Corps, you know what that means. When I went to boot camp, I went there to be trained, to be conditioned for battle. It was a physical thing, but it was also a mental thing. Because physically, they can train you to be what you need to be. But mentally, they cannot train you for that. It's either something you have in you or it's something you don't. There are a lot of guys that are in much better shape than I was. But in the end, they couldn't handle the mental aspect of it. Now, I joined at a time of peace, relative peace. I joined at a time where we were still involved in the Cold War with Russia. So we were always on a war stance. We were always supposed to be ready any time to take up our weapon and fight in the battle. Well, I never had to do that. Matter of fact, my time in the Corps was very short. Me and the Navy had a little disagreement about a pre-existing condition, and they ended up discharging me. But during my time in the boot camp, which I went all the way through boot camp and graduated that, and stayed a little bit after that, we all lived, ate, slept, and trained together. You cannot train for combat alone, regardless of what the Army says. It's not an army of one. Paul is writing a letter to Ephesians, and he is under arrest at this time. And there's a picture of a, a Roman soldier there. There's also now, there should be another picture of Paul in prison. And he says, I am an ambassador in chains. Now, Paul is dealing with his own injustice. Paul was arrested for being a follower of Christ, and he used his Roman citizenship to appeal to Caesar himself, a man who had elevated himself as a god. So Paul is waiting in chains, and he is waiting between armed soldiers. He was transported from Israel to Rome, and the whole time he was chained to a soldier, even while he was under arrest. So Paul is in this place where he is recognizing that he is in a battle himself. The Christian life for us is a battle. I know what you're thinking this morning as we read this passage, and I'm preaching this message. I don't want to fight a battle. I don't want to do it. I put on that uniform at one time. I don't want to have to put on that uniform again. Not only do we not want to fight a battle, but we also do not want to acknowledge the devil. But it's very important for us to do that because we have to know who our enemy is. So the, my very first point here is, as believers into spiritual warfare, they enter in by knowing our enemy. Let's look at verses 10 through 12 again. He says, finally, be, excuse me also for the sniffles. I got that same stuff that's going around. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So the first thing we need to see here is that the devil is at war with us, whether we recognize it or not. Paul says, against the tactics of the devil, our true enemy. The devil walks around plotting all the time for our destruction. There's a quote here from Romeo Dallaire. Romeo Dallaire was a Canadian officer who was given the daunting task of being the United Nations peacekeeper, leading the forces into Rwanda. And he makes this statement. He says, I know there is a God because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil. I saw him, I have smelled him, and I have touched him. I know the devil exists. And a lot of times it's not until we go through the spiritual battle that we feel that Satan is there. Who is Satan? Well, number one, let's say that Jesus understood who his fight was against. Not only was he tempted by Satan, but he also cast out many demons who are along there with Satan. The devil is a created being. We have to recognize that he is no different than us in this way. He is a created being, a fallen angel, an angel who decided he wanted to be God. But as a created being, he does not have the same power of a God. He is not omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He is limited in his attack. But he also has a great force of demons that work with him. And we need to recognize that those forces are around us at all times. But let's remember where we first saw Satan at. Almost at the very beginning, right? When you look at Scripture, you see that Satan shows up in the Garden of Eden. Now, when he shows up, he attacks one person, Eve. He attacks her with a lie and then deceives her. It's also interesting to note that the devil didn't show up as an angel. What did he show up as? A serpent. He tried to look and make himself look small and innocent. He shows up as a serpent to mask his identity. Not only does he show up as a serpent and mask his identity, but he also attacks Eve while she's alone. It's very important. A lot of times when Satan attacks us, it's why when we're by ourselves. Again, he is a liar, and it tells us that in John 8, verse 44, that he is a liar, and he's always looking for a way to deceive us. Let's contrast that with who Jesus says he is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you. <laughs> so I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we also have to recognize that there is real evil in the world. We know things are not the way they should be. All we have to do is look around us. All we have to do is turn on the evening news and know that we're not in a world that we should be living in. What do we see all around us? We see sickness. We see financial issues. We see relationship issues. We all live those out day to day on some level. But we also see the injustice in the, and evil in the world around us. Our world is plagued with crime, poverty, 
racial division, drugs, and even modern slavery that we looked at last week. Paul tells us that we are wrestling against spiritual forces in verse 12. My visual image is of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. It's nothing like that. We're not in that kind of physical combat with with the devil. But it's that same idea of this trying to battle things out with the evil one. As believers, Satan and his agents have no power over us as believers. Let me say that again. As believers, Satan has no power over us except for what we allow. He looks for opportunities, and he's there to give us that whisper. This happens by us compromising biblical truth and listening to the whispers of disunity that he spreads. He wants us to believe the constructed lie and not the biblical truth. And he gives us that so that we bring them in and we place it over our beliefs and place it over Scripture as truth. How many times have you heard people say, I know the Bible says, but... Or I know the Bible says, but I believe... Anything after that is the lie that Satan usually gives us. It could be meant in the best way possible, but Satan wants us to believe the lie. And he wants us to put that over Scripture and to say, no, you don't have to believe Scripture. Believe my lie. He also wants us to not believe in him. This is the biggest lie he ever gave to us, is that Satan doesn't exist. And again, in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says that Satan is a murderer and the father of lies. So, frankly, have you ever wondered why your life is so hard? Why is it so hard to do the right thing? Because we're working against somebody. Not only our own flesh, but also someone who is trying to lie to us at all times. Nathan, who's preaching out Latham today, I believe, shared part of his sermon, or shared his sermon with me, and I stole part of his sermon because he, he asked me to look at some quotes. One of the quotes he gave was from John Mark Comer, who wrote a brilliant book called Live No Lies. Nathan says it's one of his favorite books. The problem isn't primarily that we are told lies, it's that we also live out the lie. Listen to what he says. We live the lie that to be happy, we need more money. Amen? We live the lie to love another person means to affirm everything about them. Amen? We live the lie that in order to be a flourishing human, I need to gratify my every desire. Amen? We live the lie that we are products of chance. We live the lie that my body belongs to me and I can do whatever I want with it. We live the lie that my people are smarter and more important than those people. And ultimately he writes, we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. 
Satan likes to use those little things to tell us that he doesn't exist, but believe the lie. So why does it feel like a struggle? It's because we have an enemy. Peter even affirms this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, when he says, Be serious, be alert, your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Peter believed in and Satan also. The second thing I want to see this morning is that as believers, we enter, into, we enter into spiritual warfare by training for the battle. Let's look down at verses 13 through 17 again. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with, the tr- with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith, and with it, you will also be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is God's word. So, how do we prepare for battle? Well, when I was in the Marine Corps, we prepared for battle by putting on body armor. We changed our appearance by putting on camouflage, sometimes makeup, depending on the situation. And I wish I had a a picture of me, but when I went through my pictures, I actually do not have a picture of me looking like that. But what does Paul say that we need to do to prepare for battle? Number one, keep alert. When the war on terror, isn't that what we're always told, is that when we are in public situations, we need to be alert? Well, Paul said it long before, because... We are also in a spiritual battle. He also says, put on the full armor of God. Now, the temptation here for any preacher is to preach about the full armor of God. But I think you probably, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, have heard that sermon before, and I'm not going to go there with you. But the things that he tells us that are part of that armor of God is righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the Spirit which is the word of God. Now I want you to notice that we are given the full armor of God. It's not like in a video game where you have to power up and get to the different levels, right? We're given everything we need by God. God gives us righteousness. He gives us peace. He gives us faith. He gives us salvation. And he gives us the spirit. Paul also ties the spirit in with the word of God here. So what is truth? Well, spirit would be God himself, the Holy Spirit. And it says that the Spirit gives us the Word of God. So scriptures are also the truth. The Holy Spirit gives us those things so that we can believe. So the only offensive weapon that he mentions there is the sword or the Spirit, the Word of God. But it's interesting to know that as we're given that sword, it is not necessarily an offensive weapon. A sword, when used properly, does more defending than it does offensive. You block the attack, and you wait for your chance to attack. Now, he tells us here 
as believers that we have to stand together in the battle. He says that twice in verse uh, 12, in verse 13, excuse me, that we need to stand together. Now, he, he calls us an army here, basically. Aren't armies supposed to charge, to kill, to destroy, to conquer? Well, normally, yes. But that's not what Paul is calling us to do. He's calling us to stand. This is a defensive posture, not an offensive one. It is the sense to defend the victory that is already won. So if you have won the ground, you don't give up the ground. You stand and you defend the ground. Homer puts it this way. He says, the one who stands is not pushed around, but firmly holds his or her position. In terms of warfare, it does not connotate an offensive, but rather a defensive stand to hold one's ground. So the intent of the exhortation here is not unlike that of our Lord, who went through the battle himself, but also commanded the church in Romans chapter 2, verse 25, to hold fast until I come. Just hold the ground. Just hold the ground. So we are to be strong. Look at verse 10 again. The comfort here is in verse 10 where it says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. So we are relying on Jesus' strength, not our own, to do this. Now, when Roman soldiers came together and they were up against an army that was bigger than them, what they would often do is, is to circle around each other. And when they circled around each other, they would stand shoulder to shoulder and they would hold up their shields and they would interlock their shields. So when the enemy came at them, not only could they withstand the attack because they got the support of the person next to them, but their shields are, are locked together so that the enemy can't get through their shields. Not only would they do this around in a circle, but they would also have people on the inside that would be pushing out and be holding their shields up high so that they could withstand the fiery darts that were being shot at them, the arrows. So in every way they were protected. We as believers need to stand strong like this. James says, therefore submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. So how do we stand strong? By standing together. Now, there's going to be a couple things. Johnny and I were talking about this last week that seem kind of contrite to us. How do we do that? By studying God's word. But we also do that by gathering and worshiping together as we're doing right now. We need not only a personal relationship with God, but we also need a communal relationship with each other. Christians cannot stand alone. I can't tell you the number of times as a pastor I heard people say, well, I can go out in the woods and worship God. Yes, you can. But we are much stronger when we stand together and we worship together. But because we do this, we are loving each other, we are knowing and sharing with each other what our struggles are. I can go to my brother Johnny and say, Johnny, hey, I'm struggling with this. Pray with me. Stand with me. Or any of the other spiritual leaders in our church here. We've got a bunch of them. Go to those people when you're feeling weak and let them stand with you in the battle. 
shoulder to shoulder, friend to friend, believer to believer. When the devil convinces you through your own experience that you are not loved, we start to internalize that, lo- that, that statement, and it becomes part of our very neurobiology. And you end up pushing everyone away, which, guess what? Makes you feel more unloved. So don't believe the lie. Believe what God tells us to do, which is to stand in his strength and to fight the battle together. The last point I want to see here this morning, as believers, we enter a spiritual warfare by preparing for victory. Let's look down at verses 18 through 20 again. 18 through 20 says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer request and stay alert in this with all perseverance, intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message which was given to me when I opened my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel, for I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. How many times did Paul use the word prayer there? Somebody count it up for me. How many times? You can talk to me. Come on. How many times did he say pray there? How many? Well, I see one, two, three, four, four times there. One of the things you need to be very aware is when you see something being repeated numerous times like that, is that it's very important. Paul is trying to stress something. But this whole letter has been about victory. Have you noticed that? As we went through this letter, Paul talked over and over about how to have the victory. Even when we went through the household chores, which were very difficult to listen to at times, Paul turns all those things upside down. He gives power to the powerless, And those who think they have the power, he says, hold on a second, you don't have the power. Let's go back to the very beginning of this book. Let's look at chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He says, this is why, since I heard about your faith and the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remembered you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your minds may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are his glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power to those who believe? according to the working of his vast strength. So from the very beginning, Paul says, you have the victory. I give you the strength, I pray for you, and you have the victory. So as believers, we need to be people who are not only believing, but also people of words. We need to speak at what we believe. By keeping alert to the attack, we also need to be ready to respond to the attack. And the way that we respond is by the word of God. Whenever you think you don't know the answer, there is an answer in the word of God for you. So we are not to attack the devil, as movies often tell us to do. 
We are not to attack his forces, but we have already won the battle. There's a reason why we don't have to do that. All we have to do is stand strong. Guess what? I have read the end of this book. Let me tell you a little secret if you haven't gotten there yet. We win. I don't win myself. Christ wins, and I stand with Christ. But we win. Matthew 16, verse 18 says, And I also say to you that you, Peter, who made a profession of faith, you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overcome it. <sighs> Prayer. Paul almost gives this as a throwaway line here. He says, oh yeah, and pray for me, I'm still in chains. <laughs> oh yeah, pray for me, I'm in captivity. Pray for me, I'm living out injustice. I don't know how many of us have been to jail here, but I don't want to give it a try. But that would be the spiritual battle, wouldn't it? But Paul says that he's in chains. He says, let me speak boldly. And he even mentions Tetricus here. If I said that right, Johnny. Who He is sending out with this letter, but he also says, I'm going to give him specific ways that you can pray for me because he is physically here and he knows what I'm dealing with. Therefore, there is nothing for us to lose. There is nothing for us to fear because we stand in the Lord, we've won the victory, and we know that God is with us. Remember what Paul says to the Philippian church in 4.13. He says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So what is the battle cry that we need to listen to? Simply, come to me. All we have to do is go to Jesus. So does this look like a victory to you? It doesn't often feel like it, if we're honest. Especially when we're going through it day to day. Sometimes it feels like we're at battle. Sometimes we don't want to acknowledge the battle. But we almost never feel like it's victory. Contrast this with what Paul is saying here. That he's relying on Jesus' power and his victory over his own chains. We're not that different from Paul. We have our own chains that we live with. But we also have that same victory, that same strength in the Lord. In fact, Paul alluded to this elsewhere about what it means to be weak and about what it is to have Jesus' power. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9-10, through 10, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that just the opposite of what the world tells us to be? We have to be strong and not show our weakness. Paul says, I'm going to do just the opposite. I'm going to show you my weakness, and I'm going to show you through my weakness that I am strong. I have the victory because I have Christ. 
And this is why we can have confidence that we do have the victory. Remember again, Philippians 4.13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I want to give you one more quote here. This is from Lewis Schaefer in his book on Ephesians. He says, In this connection, it is interesting to observe that as pilgrims we walk, as witnesses we go, as contenders we run, and as fighters we stand. Right now, I'm going to ask Johnny to come up, and I'm going to ask him to give us a word of prayer about spiritual warfare. Because we're all in the battle, whether we recognize it or not. So please, pray with John as he comes up right now. Thank you, Phil. Phil and I noticed it is a little trite sounding that... What, what should you do to oppose the powers of darkness? You should read your Bible and pray. Um, but what we realize is that when we fight with the word of God and we seek what we cannot do on our own but seek in prayer what only God can do, we are fighting with God's strength, not with our own strength. And so those two come together and sometimes when we wield those alone, we can get a little mixed up sometimes. We're not infallible. We need each other. And so we do that together. And we pray. And so now we come to pray together. And there are a lot of things going on in all of our lives. And I just want to take a moment um, to pray together. Um, and I'll read again this verse, Ephesians 6, 18. Pray fully girded with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in hand. He says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. There's a, there was a group gathered earlier this week um, wrapping up in a, a series on this section of the book of Ephesians, studying the armor of God together. They watched a movie called War Room about prayer. And um, we're going to pray now, but I think our opportunity as we go from here is to pray at all times with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So now um, I ask that you would please lift up someone, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's those around you, but those you're closely involved with in life. Um, and we want to pray for God's help and God's intervention to do beyond what we can do. So I invite you to pray with me now.
Father, we don't always know what we ought to pray, but we know the Holy Spirit groans for us and prays beyond our prayers. And so we call out to you for help in the ways in which we fall short in our own relationships to be the blessing we seek to be to those around us. Pray that you would go beyond our best efforts. As we lift up specific people and specific things, now as we re-enter those relationships, would we re-enter them with you and in your strength, not in our own strength to impose, but in your love and power to love. Guide us as we engage. Thank you for the gift of this series and the opportunity to pray together. Help us to be a praying people. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.